See, this is what happens when we don't have enough fellowship time together. We, everybody wants to hang out, and uh, that's understandable. And we, we're, we're going to do better. We're going we're gonna to remedy that real soon. Um, one of the things that uh, is kind of on the horizon for everybody to kind of keep in mind over the next few weeks is uh, we will begin to meet weekly on Wednesday nights. Uh, there will be a worship gathering as well. That'll be led by Ryan. And, uh, and so the hope is that eventually we will find a place that we can meet, even if that means finding a local church that allows us to use their facilities on a Wednesday night. Um, that would then, everybody could kind of get together in the same spot. The kids could go somewhere, the students could go somewhere. Uh, I'm gonna teach the students, Colton's gonna lead a Bible study. Ryan's going to lead that worship group kind of as their own small group. So uh, if, you're, if you want to be involved in worship going forward, then definitely be a part of that. Um, and um, that's going to be a real exciting thing that, that we do as a local body is because uh, we're going to get an opportunity to, to hang out together on a weekly basis and, and, uh, and just really grow in our, our uh, friendship and our love for one another and our support and encouragement of one another. That has to happen, you know, not just on a Sunday morning. Sunday mornings just don't cut it long term. So uh, that's part of the growing pains of a small church is learning how and when and where you're going to, you know, facilitate everything and, and, and how you're going to do things as a local church. So uh, just I appreciate your patience as we, as we grow and we figure things out. It's kind of like building a, an airplane in mid-flight sometimes is what it feels like. So um, Y'all just pray for, for me as, as, uh, as I lead the, the, the church, and, um, and then you pray where you fit in. Like, where does God want you to be a part of this local church? Um, also, next week, I don't want to forget this, uh, Rachel is not, uh, they couldn't make it this morning. They said they've got a couple youngins that are kind of under the weather this morning, but she wanted to make sure that we reminded everybody about next Saturday, okay? Next Saturday is our uh, family feast, Harvest Family Feast, and she said we still need quite a few items for food sign-up uh, and think Thanksgiving. So this is a Thanksgiving deal that we're doing, a family feast that we're doing as we get together. Um, um, if she could, that would too give her an idea of how many people's coming. So if you guys could just get on the messenger and say, hey, we're going to have five or we're going to have... 10 or whatever. That just gives us a ballpark idea of what to shoot for. Um, she's wondering if someone has cornhole uh, game that they can bring. We've got washer sets. So if you've got games like that that are great family games, just bring those and that way we can have several games going on at the same time. Um, and then if you have horseshoes or anything like, you know, outdoor games, bring those as well. Now, next Sunday is an important day as well. Next Sunday, we are going to ordain Colton for the gospel ministry and license him in the gospel ministry. So uh, we want to invite you to be a part of that uh, next Sunday. That's a, it's a very exciting and um, important time for Colton to always look back and, and remember that he was called into the gospel ministry by a local church in a biblical uh, way, okay? And so that's what we're going to do next week, and we want you guys to, to uh, join us in that um, celebration. Okay, so... We're going to get down to the sermon now, and this week I read a very interesting article about the Bible, 
and it was an article written in Relevant Magazine, which is a Christian publication, okay? And uh, yeah, so-called, and, and you will see why we would, we would say that, because uh, here's a quote from the article, and this just illustrates really the unbelievable ignorance that there, there is in the body of Christ about the importance of the written Word of God, the divine revelation of the Word of God. And here's the quote. The Bible has become, for so many believers, a fourth addition to the Trinity, something to be worshipped. And then, uh, of course, the, the saying, this is not in the article, but along the same lines that um, they say, for some, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible and not the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as if that you can separate Scripture, Holy Scripture, from the person of the Godhead. It's, in, it's impossible. And, and so these are the conversations that are not only happening in the body of Christ today, but are actually being promoted in large-scale mass production magazines that's going out widespread to the body of Christ, asking the question, is the Bible even really that relevant today? Is it something that we should even give that type of priority in our lives? And I think that puts a finger on a gaping wound in the body of Christ today and a lack of understanding. And thankfully, in our study today of 1 Corinthians, Paul has some things to say about that, some things that would give us um, unequivocally we can know that we know that we know God's Word is so important in the life of the believer, okay? Um, so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6, and we're going to go all the way to verse 16, all right? So if you would stand with me as we read the Word of God. We do this not as a tradition, not as a, uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to be showy or anything. This is just in honor of God's, God's written word. This is the word of God. He says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are being abolished. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the wisdom which has been hidden, which, is, uh, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Uh, it says, but to us, God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the depths of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the depths of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths of graciously given to us by God, of which depths we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depths with spiritual words, infighting and confusion and lack of understanding, then a church just falls apart or uh, it just simply uh, ceases to preach the gospel in a way that is useful to God's kingdom, okay? So they're trying to have it both ways. They want to call themselves a church, but they will not let go 
of these worldly philosophers that they valued so much in that day and time, as we spoke about a few weeks back when we talked about the herald and the orator. They, they accumulated these orators around them to impress them with their uh, intellect, okay? So Paul is making his case that as long as you Corinthian believers keep chasing the wisdom of this age, you will continue to be babies in Christ. You will continue to be shallow Christians, and you will have no influence in the world for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's also making a very important point about the origin of the gospel in this, something that we can all latch onto and hold onto with both hands. He makes it very clear that it's something infinitely beyond our ability or man's ability to secure on his own, but rather it is something that God has given. So let's break down 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. We're going to start uh, in verse 6. He says, Yet we do uh, speak wisdom, and speaking of the divine wisdom of God, among those who are mature. So he uses that word uh, mature, which is teleos. It means having reached its end or its fullness, finished, mature, complete, and actually in some cases it is, uh, it is quoted as perfect, okay? Um, be perfect as I am perfect. So when he says that, he's not saying you need to strive to be perfect. He's saying you need to be mature. You need to be heading towards maturity in your sanctification by submitting to the power of the Spirit in your life. But when God declares something perfect, so in God's eyes, because we're covered with the blood of Christ, we are perfect. We are regenerated. And that's what he's talking about here in their regeneration. This person's eyes have been opened to the truth. They are mature because the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes to be able to see the truth of God's Word. Because we know that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers, right? That's what God's Word says. Well, the Spirit of God has to open someone's eyes first before they can see the truth of God's Word. It is a wisdom, however, not of this age, he says. So it did not originate recently. This is not a new thing, all right? This wisdom is eternal wisdom. It's from a completely different perspective than what you know day by day. This is something outside of yourselves. This is something that existed before anything was ever created. It is an eternal wisdom, okay? Um, laid down before the foundations of the earth. It was something that existed in God before he ever made anything. It says, he says also, it is not of the rulers of this age who are being abolished. So the rulers of our day are passing away, right? They come and go. We have presidents come and go. We have kings and queens come and go. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. That's how it works. And that's what he's making that point here when he says that. It's not of the rulers of this age. Uh, because they are being abolished. They're passing away. Verse 7, he says, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. And that Greek word is mysterion. And it is a mystery. It's not a puzzle to solve. It's, it, what it means is something that was hidden that has now been revealed. Okay? So in times past, it was a mystery that was hidden. And now God has revealed it to the masses. It's God's overall plan that he has revealed. The wisdom which has been hidden, it says is right there, the wisdom which has been hidden, which God predestined 
before the ages, before anything was ever created, before time ever existed, God predestined this plan to unfold. Do you understand? To our glory. So he's got a plan for those of us who, have, who are in Christ to be glorified in Christ and be like him and spend eternity with him. And so we see here that that was something he planned even before he created anything. That thought to me is unbelievable that he would think of me, that he would think of you even before the foundations of the earth were created. Before there was any such thing as time, space, and matter, he thought about us and, I, and we were in his plan to call us to himself. That's, that's pretty incredible, okay? It was always going to unfold exactly the way that God had predestined it to unfold. He foreordained it. He was not surprised by the flow of events. So when, when the soldiers came and arrested Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, God the Father was not wringing his hands and running around heaven in a panic trying to figure out how I was going to fix it, right? That's not who God is. That was all part of his plan. It was a mystery that he kept hidden or concealed because look at verse 8. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age has understood, and it, Paul's talking about his age, none of the rulers of, his, of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So none of the best of the best rulers understood it. None of the smartest, most intelligent people on earth understood this mystery, this plan that God was going to reveal. The, the Jewish leaders did not see it coming. They were just protecting their power, their influence, their hold over the religious structure of their day, okay? And they had control over the general Jewish population because they were the spiritual elite, yet they did not see it at all. They completely missed the mystery. The Gentiles couldn't see the forest for the trees either because they carried out Christ's crucifixion, right? They feared that if they didn't do what the Jews had risen up to, to say, you need to do this, and if you don't do this, they thought, well, there might be an uprising. So let's just go ahead and, and crucify this Jesus, okay? So they thought there might be an uprising, and of course they wanted to keep a lid on that. If, if they allowed an uprising to take place, then they had to answer uh, to Caesar, okay? So it says none, none, not one, none of the rulers understood they were all just acting in their own best interests. But in God's sovereignty, just like the wisdom of Joseph, y'all remember the story of Joseph and his brothers. He says, you meant what you did for evil, but God meant it for good. Isn't that amazing? And we can always trust God in that, in his, in his sovereignty, in the fact that he is just and he is good. If you turn to Acts chapter 3, turn to Acts chapter 3 real quick. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Acts 3, verses 13 through 17. Peter is preaching to a crowd of his brethren, of, of the Jews here, okay? And it, it's taking place right after a miraculous healing. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 13. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate. So he's, he's talking about both rulers, Jewish rulers and Gentile rulers, 
when he decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the author of life. What an incredible descriptive word of Jesus. You put to death the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see now. So he's saying, look at me. I have faith in Christ. I was an eyewitness. I saw this and I'm preaching to you now. Um, He says, um, and the faith which is through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So he's saying the healing that just took place, it's because I am acting as as an apostle In the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ under the same authority, you just witnessed this miracle because I am uh, walking in the same authority as Christ in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, again, he declared it long before it took place, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So all the things that he said he was going to do, he did. He fulfilled those things. So here we're harmonizing scripture, uh, Peter's sermon beforehand, making the same point that Paul is making back in 1 Corinthians. So you can uh, flip back over to 1 Corinthians there as we continue. He says, the rulers were ignorant, and you were ignorant beforehand. Your eyes were not opened. Their eyes were not opened. There was... There was something very important that had to take place in the meantime for them to be able to see what was going on for that mystery to be revealed. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those that love him. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 64 and 65, and I've heard this actually all my life, and I've heard it misquoted all my life. And these are the kinds of things that as I study God's word, I continue to find, man, I've just been regurgitating these things that I've heard preachers say all my life, and they've been misquoting it out of context, and so therefore I misquote it out of context. But when I actually read it in its context, see, they were always talking about heaven, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that he has prepared for those that love him. And I guess we could apply, I mean, that's probably very, very true, that we cannot imagine. I think I quoted this about four weeks ago uh, in the wrong context, okay? So even I grow as I read God's word, and that's the whole point. But, But it's not talking about heaven at all. As a result of hearing, okay, basically, um, this verse is saying this, in essence, God has blessed you and I with five senses, and this is how we receive information, and this is how we learn and know and understand. Smell, taste, touch, which appeal primarily to the body, okay? And then the things we hear and the things that we see appeal primarily to the mind, okay? Does that make sense? So that's what this is talking about here. We learn truth by what we hear, so truth spoken, and we see by what Uh, what we observe, by what we read, by the things that we study and inspect, we learn in that way, okay, as well. And then we ponder those truths. We we think about those things in our heart, okay, which in their culture, the heart was almost like the way we use the gut today. I just feel it in my gut. 
Well, back then the heart was the seat of all consciousness. It was the seat of emotion, of thought, and the personality of the person was synonymous with the soul or the mind. So today we might say the mind, or we feel it in our heart, uh, but the mind and the heart are bound together. It's the immaterial part of you that's actually eternal, okay? But it's still tied to the knowledge that we glean from the things that we see and we hear. That's what he's bringing up here. I remember when I was a kid, there was a saying. I, I grew up for many years in a small town of about 600 people, and there was a saying that said, uh, "Believe, don't believe anything you hear and believe only half of what you see in a small town. Don't believe anything you hear and only believe half of what you see. And I remember that making an impression on me. And, and it's similar with eternal wisdom. God's wisdom, spiritual knowledge, eye has not seen. It has not obtained spiritual wisdom and knowledge by what we see, okay? Ear has not heard. So it's not obtained just in the exercise of hearing someone speak truth, okay? Um, it says it has not entered into the heart of man. It is not obtained by our ability to ponder or to think things through. The philosophies, the whole to be or not to be, that is the question. Those types of things that we, that we ponder in our heart and mind. It says it is prepared for, predestined for those who truly love Him. It's only able to be discovered. A saving knowledge of God cannot be found externally by the things that we see and hear. Do you all understand that? Say amen if you get that. Okay. So although we could say that creation, Romans 1, creation leaves us without excuse. You go out there and look at one tiny leaf. You, you, you break things down at the molecular level. You see this great, uh, the design of, of an infinite designer. You really have to to reach, to believe that this thing just happened, right? That it just appeared in a big bang. But also, so basically we know that Scripture tells us we're without excuse. That we can look at creation and God can hold us accountable because we know just in creation alone, but, but just looking at the beautiful mountains does not bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, same way we can't ponder philosophies and the deep questions of, of the material world and life and our soul and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ unless there is something, a mediator in between that opens our eyes spiritually. So God's plan, this mystery, His will, His wisdom, it's revealed by that mediator, the Spirit of God. What God has prepared for us will not be hidden to those, and here's the thing, to those who truly love Him, to those who... He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will live for me. Okay? There's, there's a lifestyle uh, that is discernible in someone who truly loves the Lord. And it's discernible because you cannot have the indwelling spirit of God, almighty God inside of you, and there not be some change in your life, in the way you view sin, in the way you love people, in the way you conduct yourself in the world. It's impossible to have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you and you to live according to the old nature. Can I get an amen? All right, so let's break this down. We know man's ability to uncover spiritual truth on his own is impossible. That's what this passage is teaching us. It's like we're trapped in a dark room in and of ourselves with no light at all, not even a pinhole of light 
shining in this dark room. It's complete and total darkness. And in order for man to see anything eternal, anything of saving grace, of saving knowledge, the Spirit of God must come to the rescue. The Spirit of God must act on our behalf. And He does this in three ways. First, revelation. Second, inspiration. And third, illumination. So revelation, inspiration, and illumination. So first, let's look at revelation. Not the book of Revelation, all right? But that word, that, the name of that book comes from this Greek word, apocalypto. That's where we get the word apocalypse. That doesn't mean doomsday. Apocalypto means a revealing, an unveiling, something that is, that is opened up for the world to see. And that's what the book of Revelation is about, is the final uh, unveiling of Jesus Christ, okay? His, his return. It's all about His return and, and Him coming back, okay? So the Spirit unveils or uncovers this mystery that beforehand was hidden. And then let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 10. But to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the depths of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Now, this is a fact. This is absolute fact. You can bank on it. There's not one single second of Michael Branch's life in which I have not been present with myself. All right? That's what he's pointing to here. All right? Um, I know me like no one else knows me. Krista's pretty good. She's, she's pretty good. Like she can notice a look on my face and she's, she's like, what are you thinking about? You think you're clever right now, don't you? So apparently there's a look on my face when I'm thinking about something funny or I think I'm being cute in my own mind. And she's like, oh, you're, you think you're clever right now, don't you? And I'm telling you, it's dead on. But she doesn't know me the way I know me because I've been with me my entire life. Okay, me, myself, and I. And she wasn't around when I was in kindergarten, and she wasn't around when I was in fifth grade. So she knows a lot about me, but that's the point that this is making here, all right? In the same way, the Spirit of God knows the depths of God. There is no time in all of the existence of God, which is outside of time, so it's hard to even fathom, but there, is, there was never a point in which the Spirit of God was not one it was like me, myself, and I, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Word, the Spirit of God, and God the Father, always in perfect unity. So the revealer of God's purpose and plan, uh, through these men, the Holy Spirit revealed the deep things of God to these men that Christ had chosen. And it brings us to the second way the Spirit shines light in that darkness, and that is inspiration. This is so very important and gets to the heart of what I opened up with the, the, the knowledge of the Word of God and how important it is to understand the importance and priority of the written Word of God in our life. So let's look at verse 11. Even so the depths of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God, of which depths we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depth with spiritual words. Okay? So this is incredible. Once again, Paul is pointing to the divinely inspired writing of God's Word. The Spirit of God 
who knows the depths of God. He knows the depths of God's plan, his eternal plan. He has given that to us. Now listen, this is important to understand. When Paul, or yeah, when Paul says us right here, he, not, he doesn't mean us, us. All right? He's, it's not you and I. It isn't Christians across the board. Okay? Uh, so a lot of bad theology starts this way. When we don't understand that when something is given to the disciples or the apostles, oh, well, if he said, if he gave it to them, then it must mean us. If he could do it, we can do it, right? If he said us, he means us. Let's look at this again. The us he speaks of is, again, it's himself, the apostle Peter, and all of these other men that were chosen by God, the apostles, to be divinely inspired to write, to pen the actual word of God that you now hold in your hands. That's what he's saying, that the Spirit revealed these things to us through divine inspiration. Those depths given by the Spirit of God, not of human wisdom or of human creativity, right? The ability to sit down and just write a story, because some of us are pretty good at that. But these guys didn't just sit, sit down and pull this out of thin air. This is not creative writing. But rather, the Holy Spirit is giving them spiritual depths combined with spiritual words. The spiritual depths, the plan of God combined with the words that he actually put in their mouths. So the Holy Spirit is the message bearer from the mouth of God to the men of God whose hands were writing down the word of God. Do you all understand that? From the mouth of God to the men of God writing down the word of God. Remember what Jesus told the disciples in John 14, 26. He says, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So in other words, if Jesus was saying, if I had stuck around with you, he's going to teach you all the things that I would have told you had I stayed here with you. Okay? Not only that, he's going to bring to remembrance everything that I've already told you in this three and a half year period that you've been walking around with me. He's going to tell you exactly what you need to write down. Not only that, but he's going to reveal to you the future, things that are going to unfold in the future, in the prophetic nature, okay? And so, of course, we know John wrote the Revelation, uh, the last testament, the last revealing of Jesus Christ. So Paul and the other writers did not write what they wanted to write. When you hear someone say, well, the Bible was just written by men, bull, that's just bull. They don't understand. They're ignorant if they say that. It was not their creative writing skills. It was not their intellect. They did not record their own ideas or write down their own interpretations when, when writing these scriptures. Remember what uh, Peter said. He said, none of this comes from uh, the interpretation of man. And that word interpretation doesn't mean how they figure it out. It means it did not originate with men. It originated with God. So the Holy Spirit took each man. This is really cool to think about. The Holy Spirit took each man, so he took Peter, and Peter had this specific vocabulary and a personality, and the Holy Spirit took that man, Peter, and that handful of words that Peter knew, and his vocabulary and his personality, and inspired him to write the Word of God. And so when you read Peter's writings, you see Peter's vocabulary and personality, but it was written by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. So the Spirit inspired these men to write exactly what God the Father intended for them to write. Let's look at that wording again in verse 12. 
this is really important. We were actually talking about this this morning. Verse 12. We have received, he says, that we might know. That we might know. He doesn't want us to guess. He doesn't want us to think so. He doesn't want us to be pretty sure. Okay? He wants us to be able to know. There's no guesswork in this. This is from God. When you read the Word of God, you know it's from Him. He gave it in a supernatural way. They received it so that we might know. Okay? It is a supernatural act of God, and it confirms the message so that we can know the Word of God are the very words of God. That's amazing. And that's why we need to push back when the, the, the Bible is out of season, okay? Remember that Paul instructed Timothy to preach the word in season when it's popular and out of season when it's under attack. Well, it's under attack right now, and it's going to continue to be under attack. Well, we need to understand not to fall into that trap and believe that the word of God is, is, is uh, you know, the Ten Commandments or Ten Suggestions or that, that God's word is merely just a, a, a psychological crutch that we can use to, to help us limp our way through life. That is not at all what it is. These are the words of God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. All Scripture, and that word Scripture means writing. All the writings that God delivered to the apostles, they are God-breathed. They are inspired, just like uh, we learned that it's like the wind filling the sails of a great ship and carrying the ship along. That's what those apostles were. They simply were men who were filled with the wind of the Spirit of God as they wrote the Word of God, okay? And it's significant to recall that when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 4, what did he say? Man shall not live on bread alone, other, in other words, on his material needs. You don't need just bread alone. You don't need to just have a roof over your head. Man shall not live or survive on bread alone. If you truly want to live, you must live by consuming what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Satan used scripture. He pointed to scripture. He just quoted it out of context. He attacked the word of God. He's saying man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds. Don't just take, devil, don't just take one word, one phrase out of context. You need the whole thing. Eat the whole meal, the whole counsel of God. Scripture, spiritual thoughts, the depths of God combined with spiritual words. And it brings us to the third way the Holy Spirit delivers the words of God. He shines a light in that darkness for you and I now through illumination. Illumination, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But a natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God. That even if you were able to, you wouldn't accept it. You would reject it. A natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually examined. A natural man, that is, any person whose eyes have yet not been opened by the Spirit of God, a natural man still has their spiritual eyes blinded by the God of this world, Satan. And so therefore, a natural man can pick up a Bible and read it, and they 
cannot understand the deep things of God. They can possibly understand the historicity of the Bible. They can read the stories and enjoy the stories. They can take moral suggestions. They can glean wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom about handling finances in the Bible, okay, that would be beneficial. They can get all of those surface level, uh, all that surface level information and facts from the Bible. You can memorize verses. You can memorize large portions of Scripture. The scribes and the Pharisees knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, but they completely missed the point of Scripture, the one that Scripture was pointing to. So Jesus the Messiah had long been foretold in Scripture, back in Genesis 3.15, right? The seed of the woman who will crush the head of the devil. And it was prophesied about for centuries through the mouths of the prophets. And Jesus was actually living among them. He was walking among the scribes and Pharisees, and they knew Scripture inside and out, but they could not see because their spiritual eyes had not been opened, okay? That is an act of the Spirit of God. It wasn't a fact that, it, that, that they studied the truth that was their fault. The fault was that they were not uh, submitting themselves to the, the Spirit of God. They were not humbling themselves and allowing Him to open their eyes. So when someone calls you a Pharisee, um, that's impossible unless, of course, you, you truly don't know Christ. You can have head knowledge, but truly not know Christ. And that is, that is tossed around often these days uh, when it comes to anybody trying to teach something of Scripture. If you're going to teach Scripture and say, no, this is what God's Word says, oh, well, you're just a Pharisee, right? That's just an immediate reaction. But they did not see with spiritual eyes, and it wasn't impossible because John the Baptist, the second he saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He recognized Jesus immediately. So why did the Pharisees not recognize him? It's because their spiritual eyes were not opened, okay? They were looking at the same man, yet couldn't see who he was. So we see here in this passage that unless the Spirit is involved, that the depths of God's word, the depths, the spiritual depths of the truth of God's word is just foolishness to the natural man, and they simply cannot understand it. Because it says the, the spiritually deep things of God are spiritually examined. And that word examined is anacrino, to investigate, to question. And it's actually a forensic investigation, like looking at every minute detail. And so it's saying that it's spiritually examined. So God the Holy Spirit illuminates these deep truths to our mind. And then in turn, the way we think changes. The way we see the world and the way we think and react and conduct ourselves, that all changes because of the truth of God's Word. Our eyes are open. So you can read Scripture all day long, but if the Spirit of God is not illuminating the truth within it, it's just a, it's a natural exercise. Do you all understand that? So King David wrote this. He says, open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things of your law. Like he knew I can read it, but Lord, I need you to open my spiritual eyes. I need to see this from your perspective. I need the depths of the Spirit of God to really give this uh, true meaning. And that's what makes it a treasure, okay? Verse 15, but he who is spiritual examines all things. Yet he himself is examined by no one. So this is important. He who is 
spiritual. Pastor Mike, how do you define spirituality? Well, I'm going to define spirituality the way Paul defines spirituality in God's Word. He who is spiritual examines, forensically investigates all things. This is in the context of words and the Word of God, studying the Word of God. So a spiritual person isn't someone who says, God told me this or God told me that according to whatever they're hearing in their head. Okay, It must always be tested by the Word of God. A spiritual person is not defined by someone who has these outward physical manifestations, maybe during worship, maybe speaking with other tongues. That is not how Scripture defines a spiritual person. A spiritual person isn't someone who can do all the things that Jesus did. That's not how Scripture defines a spiritual person. God's Word says here in black and white, a truly spiritual person does not buy whatever some self-proclaimed man of God is selling, some snake oil salesman is selling, swallowing it hook, line, and sinker just because it sounds spiritual. That's where people get into trouble. That's, that's how they fall into a trap. A truly spiritual man examines all things. How many things? All things. A spiritual man examines all things by the standard of God's revealed word. So here's the process. We read God's word, and the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us from the moment of our regeneration opens our eyes, illuminates the truth of God's word. And then as we study God's word, the spirit illuminates the wisdom of God, the deep things of God, the eternal knowledge of God. He reveals it to us through the word of God and something truly incredible happens. Our transformed mind begins to think from the perspective of Jesus Christ. We begin to think the way God would think, the way Jesus Thought when he walked on this earth. We see things from God's perspective. So we see in the second part of verse 15 come into play here. It says, yet he himself is examined by no one. In other words, the world doesn't get us. We're freaks. We're, the more in line with scripture we get, the more out of touch with the world and the more difficult it is for them to understand us. And eventually why they're going to be like, hey, let's just cut their heads off and be done with them. Okay, I mean, it's, it's, we're alienated by the world because we are so different from the world. And even those, you guys, who take part in the religious system of the day, all right? The religious system of the day, this, this, this mysticism, this spiritism that is so prevalent these days, just because someone says they are a Christian and just because someone holds a position of authority within the church does not mean what they are telling you is true. As a matter of fact, if they're telling you God told me this, then I would do what God's word says a spiritual person does, examine it, test all things. Now, Jesus dealt with the false spirituality of the religious system of his day, which were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the spiritual elite, and we deal with the false spirituality of our day as well. When people who put themselves on a pedestal and say, Hey, listen to me. God told me this. You need, to, you need to listen to me. But the standard here is, that's stated is plain. 
A truly spiritual person examines the Scriptures, and not only the Scriptures, examines all things. Just as Paul also instructed the church in Thessalonica, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, examine all things, test all things, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Not even evil, but every form of evil. If, if the world looks at you and thinks you're engaging in evil acts, then there's a form of evil there. You should be careful not to be seen as someone engaging, even, even if it's not true, even if they are mistaken, right? Keep away from every form of evil. We don't want to bring shame and reproach on our Savior. And this is what the Bible defines a truly spiritual person looks like. And then he says in verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will direct him? In other words, Paul's asking the question, where is this, as he said earlier on, we read in chapter 1, where's the debater? Where's the intellectual man? Where's the scientist, right, who understands? <coughs> Excuse me. Where's the philosopher who thinks the way God thinks? Where's the scientist that actually could tell us the depths of how all things came into being the moment that God spoke and it came into being? Bring that person forward. Let's see that person go toe-to-toe with the wisdom, the eternal wisdom of God. They don't exist. Those people don't exist. It's impossible. They are fools professing to be wise, Paul says. And then he says, but we, but we, we have the mind of Christ. Everything that God wants us to know in regard to the truth about eternal things, about spiritual things, is revealed in His Word. Everything. It is sufficient. You will be so fulfilled if you will make it a point to dig into God's Word and study it and examine it and let it absolutely transform you. The Spirit illuminates the truth of Scripture to our mind. The eyes of our understanding are opened and we begin to truly see. Just like in Luke 24:45, Luke 24:45, these words or these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is Jesus. And then it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus did for them what the Holy Spirit does for us now. Obviously, it's not the wave of a magic wand and all of a sudden we just get it. We just understand, right? Studying, we, 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 we have to do what Paul instructed Timothy. We study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth in accuracy. By examining it and, and rightly dividing it accurately. That's how we come to know the truth. And as we do that, if we will do that and study, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth. So it takes time and effort to do it correctly. And you can trust teachers and preachers who make rightly dividing the word of truth their standard. Don't Be, be so careful about who you give influence in your life and in your heart and in your mind. What does uh, the Old Testament say? Guard your hearts above all else, for out of it flows the wellsprings of life. We have to guard our heart and mind, okay? And let God's word be the standard 
We find those guys who painstakingly study to get every single verse, every single word right, and follow pastors and preachers who understand that if they get it wrong, they are going to stand before God in judgment, that they will face a harsher judgment. If there's no humility in, in them when they stand and proclaim the word of God, and they do it arrogantly, and they do not understand that one day you will stand in front of God and you will give an account for what you're saying. God said this or God said that. You better be right because you're saying, thus saith the Lord. So follow those guys. Listen to those men, those teachers who understand both the importance of getting it right and also the fact that they're going to stand before God one day and give an account because there are far too many ear ticklers out there, far too many preachers who are just trying to get a rise out of you, who are trying to entertain you and kind of sneak a few bucks from, or a lot of bucks from your, from your checkbook, okay? Here's the promise as you study the eternal wisdom of God. Your thinking is transformed in the process. You will have the mind of Christ. He will replace your foolish worldly thoughts for his thoughts. Your old fruitless ways will become his ways, and you will bear fruit for his purpose and his plan in the time that he's given you here on this earth. You want to bear fruit? Man, get into the word of God. You'll fight on the front lines of his spiritual war. Do you want to talk about spiritual warfare? I remember I read Frank Peretti's books when I was a teenager, and I, man, I thought there, were, there was a demon under every rock. <laughs> and while entertaining and exciting, not necessarily uh, a great definition of what spiritual warfare is. I want to show you what spiritual warfare is. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to do this in closing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. And again, harmonizing scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but are divinely powerful. Listen to this. This is spiritual warfare. For the pulling down or the tearing down of strongholds. That word stronghold is like a tomb, entombing people. As we tear down speculations, a speculation is a false thought about God. Something you wrongly think about God. And those things are built up in your mind from the world and from false teachers. Well, God's word, spiritual warfare, is not fighting demons toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It's pulling down speculations, wrong thinking about God. And every lofty thing that's raised itself up against what? The knowledge of God, knowing, truly knowing Him. We pull down those strongholds, the, the wrong thinking, the, thing, the deceptions that we bought into. And only God's word can align us. Only God's word can, can uh, shove aside all of the deception that we bought into and align us with, with scripture and, and, and actual spiritual truth. And it says, listen what it says, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's the mind of Christ. Every single thought. Can you imagine what the world would be like if just the body of Christ would take every single thought captive and subject it to the obedience of the word of God, the word of Christ, and we would have the mind of Christ. What a difference that would make. So a person with the mind of Christ destroys 
the foolish speculations and thoughts that the enemy raises up against true godly wisdom, eternal wisdom, the constant lies that the world and these false teachers are peddling, even the ones <laughs> published in Christian books and magazines. I, I will tell you that a Christian bookstore is probably one of the most dangerous places for a Christian if he doesn't know the Word of God or she doesn't know the Word of God. You can go in there and find the most ridiculous books that are marketed as Christian books that are just full of lies and deceit. We have to look with spiritual eyes and let the Word of God open our eyes to what truth truly is. And, and until you know the real thing, you shouldn't be reading things that you can't discern whether or not it's real or counterfeit. You need to know the Word of God first before you go pick up other books by other people so you can discern when they're off in their writing or their teaching. Amen? So, if you know God's Word, you will know eternal truth, and you will be free from the constant, listen, the constant mental turmoil that comes from this endless questioning and debate that goes on in our world, and honestly, even in, in those who claim to be Christians, the, the constant questions, the constant turning over in our hearts and minds of is this true or is it not, that you will know the truth, right? And the truth shall set you free. What will you be free from? You'll be free from the question of what is truth. You will know truth and you can walk in freedom because you are aligned perfectly with this eternal wisdom of God just by knowing the Word of God. That's the importance of the Word of God in the life of the believer. There's no... There's no replacement. There is no substitute. It is my heart that you guys would understand that and that you would recognize the world around you and, and even Christian culture around you that is peddling so many lies that you would truly understand that and be aware of that and trust in the Lord and in God's word to help you discern your way through all of that. Amen? Let us be wise and not fools. Let us trust him and his word alone. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you saw fit for us, Lord, to open the eyes of our understanding, to shine that light in the darkness and to call us out. So, Lord, I pray that each person here today and every person watching online, Lord, all the folks who are watching this later on who weren't able to be with us today, Lord, my prayer is that right now the Spirit of God would, would do a mighty work in them. That the Spirit would illuminate the truth of Scripture. That they would hear you, Lord, calling them by name. And that they would put their faith and trust in you. That your Spirit would indwell them and empower them to walk in the strength, Lord God, and the power of your spirit to walk in the truth of your word. Lord, I know that there are those who may not even know you, and today my prayer is for them. Lord, call them out. Show them your mercy. Open their eyes. Give them spiritual eyes to see the depths of the eternal wisdom that you've offered us, Lord God. 
Jesus, we love you. We ask for your divine protection this week. Lord, in the, the midst of the turmoil of the world and all the things that are going on around us, may you be the anchor that we hold to. May we hide in the cleft of the rock, knowing that no matter what happens, we're safe in your arms. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being so attentive.